We're going to go ahead and start the EAs and entrepreneurship panel. Um, I'm Joan Gass. I'm going to be moderating today. I'm a dual degree student at the Harvard Kennedy School in Public Policy and Stanford Business School. Um, and this panel came about because uh, Julia Wise and I were talking about um, different folks that were exploring EA entrepreneurship, um, was interested in finding a co-founder at EA Global for education technology and mobile health stuff. And we thought it'd be great to have a panel and a track for people that were interested in um, thinking about EAs and entrepreneurship. So we'll have the panel now. And then if folks are interested in sticking around and having further conversations, we'll move to the atrium after this for lunch and to talk more. Um, we're going to have a little bit of time where the panelists will answer questions and then we'll have time for Q&A at the end. So I'll just go ahead and say who's on the panel now and then give them each two minutes to talk about um, kind of a brief introduction, their background, and how it relates to EA entrepreneurship. Um, so we have on the panel... Um, Bruce Friedrich, who's the executive director of the Good Food Institute um, and the founding partner of New Crop Capital. Um, we also have Sweta Junapali, who's the founder and CEO of New Incentives. Um, on her right, we have Spencer Greenberg, who's the founder and CEO at Sparkwave and the founder of clearerthinking.org. And then on his right, we have Eric Gasprin, the founder and CEO of Dynamic Care Health. So the first question, which we'll just pass down the panelists, is a quick introduction on your respective areas of expertise. Hello. Excellent. Um, yes, I am Bruce Friedrich. I'm executive director of a nonprofit organization called the Good Food Institute. And the Good Food Institute was actually founded um, on EA principles. So we are an explicitly effective altruism-focused charity. Animal Charity Evaluators uh, ranked the Good Food Institute as one of the three top philanthropic investments among nonprofits for people who are attempting to help animals. We work to get animals out of industrialized animal agriculture. So in terms of entrepreneurship, there are sort of two ways that I think about GFI and entrepreneurship. The first one is that as a nonprofit organization, we are very much a startup. So GFI is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, and then the other one is that uh, one of the program areas at GFI is uh, supporting entrepreneurs. And we actually start companies. So in the plant-based meat and the clean meat space, alternatives to industrialized animal agriculture, last year, uh, our first year, we started two companies, a plant-based seafood company and also a plant-based meat company focused in India. So we're starting companies, we're helping entrepreneurs in this space who are focused on transforming agriculture away from industrialized animal agriculture, um, and GFI is, is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Thanks. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Swetha Janampali, and I'm the founder and CEO of New Incentives. Um, New Incentives is a nonprofit that implements cash transfers for routine immunizations in Nigeria. So we work in parts of Nigeria where up to 80% of infants haven't completed their immunization schedule. Um, what really kind of defines us as an organization is we're always committed to rigorously testing what we do. And if it doesn't work, 
being open to failure and closing our program. So for instance, last year we had a major strategic shift where we um, stopped working on a certain type of program and because it wasn't strong enough and um, pivoted to immunizations. So um, to date we've done about 50,000 cash transfers and later this year we'll be starting a randomized control trial for about 130,000 infants. So it's great to see you all today and I hope we get to meet some of you. Hi, I'm Spencer Greenberg. I'm the founder and CEO of SparkWave. And what we do is we try to build new companies to solve problems in the world. Um, so we look for areas where we think software could really help, but, but nobody seems to have a solution in that space that we think is doing the job. And we actually uh, will work on building the first version of that product. Uh, and then we'll recruit a CEO to spin that product out into a new company and send it on its way and try to unlock that value. Hey guys, my name is Eric Gastfriend, and I've been involved in the EA movement for a while. I first got connected to Will McCaskill in 2011 when he was starting 80,000 Hours, and I started volunteering for them. I've also volunteered for Future of Life Institute in Boston. And then I went to Harvard Business School for my MBA, and while I was there, I started the Grad Student Effective Altruism Group. And one of our main initiatives is the Philanthropy Advisory Fellowship where we recruit and train Harvard grad students to advise philanthropists and foundations on how to have the greatest impact with their charitable dollars. So over the past two years since I started it, we've worked with YouTube, TripAdvisor, Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation, and the Lauren John Arnold Foundation, among others. Um, before business school, I was running a startup in the video game industry, building cloud gaming technology. And my current full-time role is uh, about a year and a half ago, I started a company called Dynamic Care Health with my father, who's an expert in addiction psychiatry, and we're building a technology platform to help people recover from substance addiction, drugs, alcohol, and tobacco, using evidence-based incentives and technological monitoring. And my um, embarrassing fun fact is that I'm a big fan of the Disney movie Moana. Thanks so much, Eric, um, and all of the panelists. Um, the next question that we have is, um, what do you think, uh, How, if someone was thinking about EA entrepreneurship and if entrepreneurship was right for them, um, how did you guys go about answering that question? And what would you advice would you have for folks in the audience who might be in a similar position? Um, well, I, I have an, an odd... An, an, um, Sort of, I feel very honored by the amount of time people do spend, like asking me what I think they should do, um, which I'm not really sure why I'm good at giving that advice, but I appreciate it, um, and I appreciate the 80,000 80, hours website because I uh, advocate that everybody uh, check out the 80,000 hours website. And one of the things that they talk about, which I think is absolutely right, um, is I don't think they call it vocational fungibility, but the idea that for the vast majority of jobs, pretty much every job that's advertised online. Um, there are going to be a lot of people who will apply for that job. And so you will be either a little bit better or a little bit less good as somebody who would other, otherwise fill that role. Uh, the two roles where you would be invaluable, the two things that uh, if you do them and they are worth doing, uh, where you will be unique, one of them is entrepreneurship. So figuring out something that needs to be done, sort of figuring out white space 
um, in the uh, altruistic realm or white space in the business realm where you can do significant good in the world um, and then launching an endeavor to do that. There are certainly an awful lot of entrepreneurial endeavors that, that maybe aren't worth doing. And uh, oftentimes, I think people launch entrepreneurial endeavors without doing proper due diligence. Uh, but if you find an area and you bring EA thinking to it, um, EA is new enough that there are a lot of altruistic things to be done where you, you may well have uh, a phenomenal idea and nobody's done it yet. And you will be the only one to do that um, unless you do it. So I, th I see uh, entrepreneurship and earning to give as sort of the two things where um, if you don't do it, it won't get done. So like earning to give, if you take one of the roles as a lawyer or a consultant with Bain or whatever you have the capacity to do, if you have the capacity to make a lot of money, anybody else who takes that role is not going to give away half or two-thirds or however much of their salary. So that seems like a really good place to focus uh, if it's the sort of thing that you have the demeanor for, and then entrepreneurship as well. Um, I think it's an interesting question because, I mean, by default, entrepreneurship is very compelling because it gives you a chance to have an outsized impact. But I think that when, if you look at entrepreneurship in general, there's already a very high rate of failure. And so if you look at EA values, if you're really committed to achieving those values, which are the, the confluence of them to meet them all is really, is a really high bar. So I think if you're really open to failure, um, in general, but then extra open to it and want to do some type of EA entrepreneurship endeavor, then it might make sense. Um, new, new incentives last year went through Y Combinator and one of the kind of constant messages of Y Combinator is that you should really know your customers. And so I think that's another question when exploring an endeavor is what kind of endeavor and where will to achieve success, where will you have to be? And so there's a lot of personal choices that come with that. Like if you're going to try to work on some intervention in Sierra Leone, are you willing to spend a majority of your time there for the first few years and get to know your customers? So really it depends on what part of the ecosystem you're looking to plug into and whether, I think as Bruce said, you know something truly unique about that that maybe other people don't that gives you a value add there. I think that um, entrepreneurship is a really interesting option for effective altruists because if you think about how valuable money is to you, you know, making $10 million has a lot of value to you personally. Making $100 million is a bit more. Making a billion dollars is a bit more. But there's a, it's very nonlinear. Like the additional money you make has much less incremental value for you personally in terms of your happiness. A lot of studies have shown that, that uh, happiness seems to be linked about logarithmically with, with income. But if you're thinking about helping the world, you can really help the world a great deal more with $100 million than you can with $10 million, and so on. So there's, so you can kind of get this linear increase in the good you can do. And the, the nature of entrepreneurship is that, you know, it's high probability of failure, but the expected value, if you're skilled and, and have the right personality, the expected value can be very, very high. So I think from the, the point of view of helping the world, it can be really appealing. But I think it's also important to note that most people don't have the right personality to run a company. And, you know, so what do I mean by that? Well, how do you, how does this following job sound to you? It's going to be incredibly stressful. You're never going to know what you're supposed to be doing. You're going to have complete uncertainty. You're probably going to fail. You're going to have obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that seem like they're going to kill your endeavor. And if you ever let any of them make you give up, then it will definitely kill your endeavor. Now, if that sounds like a really fun time for you, um, I definitely think you should consider EA entrepreneurship. And you actually might be able to cause a huge amount of good in the world.
Yeah, I hope that this panel inspires all of you to go into entrepreneurship. Um, there's this concept I really like in economics called returns to education, where economists estimate that for every additional year of schooling that someone has, they'll be able to earn roughly an additional 10% in their salary on the job market. And of course, that's like a very you know broad kind of metric. You can imagine that it would depend a lot on what kind of career someone goes into. So you know, if you're going to be a professional athlete, the returns to education are probably really low. But if you're going to go into you know academia or management, then you know the returns to education are probably much higher. And in addition to returns to education, you could think about returns to other things, like what are the returns to IQ or intelligence? What are the returns to EQ or emotional intelligence? What are the returns to having more connections or better work ethic or more charisma, more rationality? And you can imagine that in different career paths that you know these numbers would look very different. And one concept that I think is really important for entrepreneurs is what I call gutsiness, um, which is kind of, I think, what Spencer was alluding to also a bit, that you just have to um, really be willing to go for it um, and not get discouraged and take big leaps of faith um, and really put yourself out there as an entrepreneur. So I think um, entrepreneurship is something where you have um, returns to education, IQ, rationality, charisma, all these things. But I think actually the most important one from what I've seen in successful entrepreneurs is the returns to gutsiness. Um, the gutsiest entrepreneurs seem to be the ones who are the most successful. So I think if um, you see yourself as someone who really has like a lot of drive and energy um, to accomplish your goals, then that's probably a good indicator for entrepreneurship. Um, so now that Spencer has convinced everyone in the audience to be an EA entrepreneur. Um, Let me just mention that that speech has never convinced anyone I've talked to who wanted to be an entrepreneur not to be. They always somehow seem totally unfazed by that. So, Okay, well, filter, filter test. <laughs> um, so now, uh, if people are thinking about being an entrepreneur, um, I'm curious for each of you, did you think about uh, when you're an entrepreneur, the motivation of pursuing profit? or pursuing direct impact, doing both in your organization? Um, and if it was direct impact, how did you decide where in the white space to focus on? So I spent around two years looking for startup ideas, trying to decide um, what I wanted to spend my time on. I knew I wanted to start a company, but I didn't have the perfect idea yet. And as I looked around at ideas, um, at first I was focused more on earning to give, um, trying to find something that would just make a lot of money. But as I looked into it, I realized that there are some really good ideas out there that could make a lot of money and also have really positive social impact. Um, and that's what led me to do Dynamic Care Health, where it's a for-profit company, but trying to solve a major social problem of addiction. Um, so I would encourage people to try to focus on either um, social enterprise where you have like a dual goal of social impact and money or just straight like nonprofit, pure social impact. Um, and part of the reason for that also is I think right now there's a lot more money flowing around in the EA community. So at the moment it's less of a constraint on um, getting problems solved. So my advice would be to find a problem that um, you really want to solve that's, you know, 
important from an EA perspective, and then try to figure out what's the right intervention to solve it. And then with that intervention, is there a way you can make it work as a for-profit or does it only make sense as a non-profit and choose the model that fits best? I would definitely second what Eric said. Um, I think that a lot of people in entrepreneurship jump too quickly at the first idea they think of that they're excited about. Um, it's relatively easy generating ideas. The hard thing is finding good ideas. And, and so I really advocate trying to come up with a lot of different ideas and waiting till you find ones that seem like not only do they seem really good from a business standpoint, but they also seem good from helping the world standpoint. Because really the ideal is finding something that is in the intersection of both of those. And if you wait longer and if you put in the time to really think about it and talk to a lot of people, you might be able to come up with one of those. And why, why would you st start one that's just optimizing for profit if you could find something that seems equally good from a profit perspective, but also is trying to benefit the world. And part of the reason I come to this perspective is that I think a lot of people have a kind of naive view that if you're selling a product and people are buying it, then you must be helping them. This is absolutely false. There's met, I get, you know, I have a list of 13 different ways that this is false, but I'll just to give you a taste of a couple of them. Um, imagine a company is really good at marketing, but they don't have a very good product. And they're out competing a company with a better product that's less good at marketing. So when they're selling that product, they're actually causing customers to buy a less good product instead of a more good competitive product. Um, or another example, there's plenty of supplement companies that sell supplements that literally do nothing. Um, and the reason that they're able to keep selling them indefinitely is because the claims they make are not things you can immediately witness. Like if the supplement says that they improve your heart health, well, how do you know if your heart is, health is improved? You don't know, so you, you keep buying it. Um, so I would just advocate really thinking about looking for a product idea that actually there's a strong reason to think that you're adding real value in the world. And there's this really happy coincidence that if you're doing something that actually matters, it's a lot easier to get other people excited about the idea. It's easier to recruit people willing to uh, take a salary cut because they're so excited to work with you. Um, people just want to be on board with what you're doing. People want to introduce you to people. You're more inspired yourself. I mean, when you're pursuing just money, it's just much less personally inspiring. It's easier to give up. So I think there are a lot of reasons to, to try to do something that really adds value to the world. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the business model or like what you do or if for profit, nonprofit is secondary. But when you look at kind of nonprofits in general, people over underestimate the role of the business model. So if you're if you're interested in kind of a direct impact nonprofit um, form of organization, that doesn't mean that you're going to scale less than a for profit or not be able to attract the capital. It really, just matters what is the business model of your nonprofit. So it's really interesting with EA because if you look at evidence and cost effectiveness and that defines your organization, well, then you're going to have a lot of buyers if you can really prove those type, those aspects of your organization. Um, in general, though, I think it's, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so the first thing I did when I had an idea is I went and shopped it around to like 50 organizations just asking if they would take it on. And I, and I think doing that kind of helps you understand, well, Usually the idea you have is not unique and people have tried it before. And so figuring out, well, have people tried it? To what extent have they failed and why have they failed will help you figure out, well, is there really a viable pathway to doing that? Yeah, the, uh, the origin story of the Good Food Institute is, is based in effective altruism. And a couple of years ago, uh, some of the top leadership at Mercy for Animals, which is an animal protection organization, uh, were discussing, they were sort of looking at what companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and Hampton Creek were doing uh, in terms of removing animals from industrialized animal agriculture by creating products that actually compete on the basis of the factors that dictate consumer choice. And they thought, you know, these companies, they are for-profit, they are startups, 
Um, and these companies are doing exactly what anybody in the environmental community or the global health community or the animal protection community, anybody who is focused on decreasing the number of animals in industrialized animal agriculture, that's their focus. And these are for-profit companies. These are entrepreneurs um, who are having basically the same impact, well, and, and really even a stronger impact, because pretty much everybody, when they're thinking about what to eat, thinks about taste, price, and convenience. And so they're making products that compete on the basis of taste, price, and convenience. So that was sort of the central brainstorm of GFI. Um, and so at GFI, we have a bunch of programs that are all focused on helping these, creating new uh, startups and helping the startups that exist to succeed. So we're sort of both the, the nonprofit and the for-profit. We're a nonprofit that, that helps the for-profits. Um, so I was recruited by people at Mercy for Animals to launch GFI, and we obviously did due diligence. We thought about whether it should be incorporated um, into Mercy for Animals or should be a separate charity. Do we really need a new charity? Um, and we spent a lot of time thinking about that and decided that it hadn't been tried. It was worth trying. Uh, there were a lot of areas that, that are um, mission-oriented and fit into the 501c3 um, nonprofit model. Um, and we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what is maximum impact and decided that it made a lot of sense to, to launch the organization. And then one of the things that we do inside of the organization is look for white space companies in the plant-based meat and the clean meat market sectors, um, other companies that can be the next Beyond Meat or the next Hampton Creek um, or the next Impossible Foods. And if anybody um, in the audience wants to do very, very well, uh, earn to give by starting one of these companies, and you have the demeanor that Spencer just uh, shouted out. I think that's absolutely right for what it, what it takes to be a successful entre entrepreneur. If you think that's you and you want to both have a massive, positive uh, social impact um, within the, the for-profit world, I'd be uh, delighted to chat with you about some of the ideas that we have. I'm going to give the speakers a little bit of time at the end just to talk about uh, any things that they're on the lookout for in terms of people they want to connect with or things that are going on within their ventures. But before we turn to that, why don't we take a couple of minutes for audience Q&A? So if anyone has a question, a little bit difficult to see. If not, I have more. Okay. Right here. Just off the cuff, um, you mentioned uh, white space companies. That's uh, the term I haven't heard of before. Can you please elaborate on that a bit more and how we can identify them? Sure. So, I mean, whether it's a white space company or a white space nonprofit, the idea of a white space company is just something that's not happening. So, in the nonprofit realm, um, there are probably limitless numbers of white space companies that would apply EA principles to problems uh, that exist in the world. Um, one of those is the Good Food Institute. There was not a nonprofit organization that was focused on harnessing markets and food technology to try to disrupt um, or transform animal agriculture, and so we decided to start one. Uh, similarly, there is not, you know, there's not presently a company that's focused on creating um, plant-based chicken nuggets uh, for schools, and we think that was, that's something that would make a lot of sense. There are a lot of different companies, uh, ideas that we have for companies in the clean meat space where nobody is doing them yet, and we think they would have tremendous potential. So white space just means you know, there's, uh, there's something that should be happening there, but it's white, there's nothing filled in yet. Cool. Thank you. 
Hi, I was just wondering, how do you go about finding the white space that's uh, that you should spend your time um, working on? Um, I mean, this is uh, something that I think uh, Eric and Spencer um, and Sweta all talked about. And uh, so, I mean, it, when you're whether it's a for-profit company or a not-for-profit company, um, making sure that I mean, applying the concepts of effective altruism um, is this. A I mean, I would basically just take the the effective altruism. Is it is it neglected? So is it is it something um, that doesn't have resources now? I guess if it's a white space company, by by definition, it's neglected. Um, is it high impact? Um, do you have the capacity to do it? Is it and. Uh, I think one of the things that Spencer said was that people oftentimes sort of jump at the first idea that they have, but really spend a lot of time figuring out what issue is most important to you. Spend a lot of time figuring out if, if your idea has already been tried. Think about lots and lots of ideas. Have conversations with very smart people in the EA community to determine whether it really is a good use of your resources and is the best thing to be doing. Um, and probably do a lot of self-analysis about whether you really have the capacity to be um, an entrepreneur, the, the things that Spencer was talking about. Um, and if the answer to all of those questions um, are yes, uh, jump in and, and go for it with everything that you've got. I, I definitely would agree with that. Uh, I would also add that I'm aware of five different strategies people use to come up with innovative ideas that people haven't done before. And I have slides on this um, if you want to check them out on my website. But just to give you a very quick overview. So one thing that people do is they think about two different areas that they have a lot of knowledge about that are not particularly related to each other, and then they look at the intersection of those two areas and say, is there any idea here that I'm like uniquely capable of doing because I know about both X and Y, and very few people know that intersection of skills. Um, another thing that people do is they use a kind of lean startup methodology where they look for things that they're close to in their life, like problems that they can see, and to try to pursue those. Um, a third thing people do is they look for new technologies that are coming on the marketplace, and they say, what do these technologies enable that wasn't previously possible? And then by, by getting to learn those technologies really well and then looking a little bit ahead, they're actually able to pick up on ideas that nobody has identified yet. So there's just, there's just three of them. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that they said. I thought it might be helpful to um, just like paint a picture of how I came up with the idea and decided to work on dynamic care health. Um, like Spencer mentioned, um, one way is to look at the intersection of two different fields. So my dad's an expert in addiction psychiatry. My background is in business and technology. And we realized that there's this intervention of using um, financial incentives that is shown to be really effective in helping patients recover. I realized that with um, smartphones, you could actually automate the entire methodology, which hadn't been done before. And um, as Bruce mentioned, the... EA criteria for selecting a cause is you want it to be big, neglected, and tractable. This is something that 80,000 Hours writes about a lot. So in our case, addiction is a huge problem and it affects 40 million Americans. Um, it's uh, very neglected in terms of the amount of resources we spend on it compared to other health problems. Um, and especially our particular intervention of financial incentives, no one else was doing it. Um, and we knew it was tractable because we had this intervention that we know works and we had connections in the field. Um, once you've picked a cause, then next you want to pick your intervention. And you want to look at the scientific literature to find out what types of interventions have the most evidence behind them. Um, in our case, this financial incentive intervention has over 40 randomized controlled trials and six meta-analyses behind it. Um, and so... 
once you've found an effective intervention that you think will have a good business model or nonprofit model to back it up, then you want to do an impact estimation um, using counterfactual adjustment. So trying to think about, you know, if the company or nonprofit is successful, how many people will you reach? But not just how many will you reach, also what percentage of them will actually have like a better outcome compared to if your startup didn't exist. So that's kind of like an effective altruism framework for thinking about how to pick a startup idea or whether to go forward with a startup idea. And the 80,000 hours website like lays all that out, I think, really, really nicely. And I would, I mean, I, I think the one thing that all of us are saying is really bring due diligence and don't just sort of jump at the first thing. Um, and do make sure that you have the temperament for the level of uh, chaos and uncertainty and diligence that's going to be required. Ah, okay, cool. So one of the things I'm wondering is that as like a privileged white person in like, I don't know, Berlin in my case, I'm, I'm probably not going to bump into like the really crucial problems. Um, so if I just go with the methodology of like, what am I good at? What are the things that I'm seeing? Can I combine this? Like, I, I sort of expected not to be the most high, high value thing I could do. Like one of the ideas I had was like, okay, go into a third world country, right? And like, look at all the problems there and see whether I can make a fit there. What would other ideas in that direction be like how can I find the like the real problems that that would be better than than what is in my immediate uh, um, circles well I'll just respond to that because that's a great great segue into my favorite method for coming up with new ideas which is that you look for some absurdly large problem that just clearly continues to exist and has existed for a long time and then you just do a ton of research to understand why hundred people have tried to solve it and have all failed um, and so you can I mean there are so many problems in the world, and you can kind of take your pick. Like, pick one, start trying to understand why has everyone who tried to solve this failed. And sometimes you'll say, yeah, that's just not really solvable right now, or this would be way beyond the scope of something I could, I could work on. Or you might say, hey, you know what? There might be things that people haven't tried. They're not necessarily going to succeed, but actually they seem plausible, and it doesn't seem like anyone has used them. So that's, that's one way to approach it. Um, I think it's not... A coincidence that all the EA entrepreneurs on this panel, including Joan actually, are doing startups based on translating science into action. Um, so I explained a bit the science behind my startup. Um, Spencer has clearer thinking and uplift, which are um, both based on psychology research. Um, Sueta's startup is based on the economic science behind conditional cash transfers. Bruce's science is based on um, work done on cultured meat and clean meat um, at labs like Mark Post and others. It was an academic endeavor before it was a um, startup. And Joan also has worked on educational interventions that have been studied by the Poverty Action Lab at MIT. So I think EA entrepreneurs kind of have a comparative advantage in doing these kind of translational science startups, and that can be a good way to find ideas where it's not based on like you know what you're personally experiencing um, or what you run into on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I just want to uh, I just want to underline one thing um, that uh, I think multiple people have sort of nodded at, and that is that there are these colossal problems 
and the idea of applying EA principles and scientific principles to these problems is fairly new. So people have been, if you read uh, Will McCaskill's book or any of the other books in, on effective altruism, one of the things that you learn um, is the degree to which people just keep doing the same thing that's not working and expecting that eventually it will work. Um, so by being a part of the EA movement and bringing this sort of rigorous thought process to some of these problems, there probably are a lot of ideas that nobody has come up with yet. And if you apply you know, Spencer's uh, model, uh, you may well come up with something fantastic. Um, I do just want to say I don't think it needs to be something that you're right now passionate about. Um, and I don't think it even necessarily, like I don't think you need, if you have the temperament that Spencer laid out, I don't think you need to be like a scientist working on science or a data, a data expert working on data or whatever. Um, if you have the temperament um, and the diligence and the intelligence to be an entrepreneur, um, there are a lot of different places that you can bring that passion. And just one resource to point out, um, Givewell, I think Josh Rosenberg in particular has been doing research on uh, high impact uh, evidence-based ideas they would like to see turn into charities. And then um, Charity Science has a fellowship and is shortlisted opportunities for people looking at EA entrepreneurship. So just wanted to highlight those two resources as potential areas to start with. Um, in the last couple seconds that we have, a little bit that we have, um, I know this year's theme is about community and being stronger together. So for each of the panelists, what are ways that people in the audience could be on the lookout to help you in your EA endeavors? Um, well, so right now we're looking to scale up to about 650,000 cash transfers in the next two years. And where we really see a lot of problems is how to scale our data systems. So if anybody has a lot of expertise in database consulting or um, is a data scientist, we'd love to talk to you. So we uh, we found it extremely useful um, in the AA community looking for CEOs for our products. Um, so the different kinds of products we build, we build stuff in mental health, like for depression and anxiety. We have stuff we work on for learning, decision making. Um, we design new programming languages. We do a lot of different things. Um, and so if you're the sort of person you think would be, you're really excited about doing a startup, but you don't know what idea to work on, um, you know, come talk to me, get in touch with me. And we can talk about whether there might be a good fit with you. Um, in our case at Dynamic Care Health, um, we're always looking for intros to investors who are interested in digital health. Um, also, we're looking to hire an Android developer who has a few years of experience. And then with the Philanthropy Advisory Fellowship, if you know of any foundations that would like free advice from Harvard grad students, um, those intros are really helpful to me as well. Yeah, and uh, like Spencer, uh, the Good Food Institute is looking for CEOs that are interested in uh, taking some of our white space companies and running with them. So if you'd like to chat about that, I'd be delighted. Uh, we also at GFI have a bunch of job openings, including a uh, research analyst, which I've talked to a couple people uh, just in the last you know few hours uh, who are interested in that job. But we have a bunch of other uh, jobs as well at just gfi.org up slash jobs. So just a reminder, um, there's going to be more time to talk to folks. Um, you can come up here since we're going to end our panel, or um, in a couple of minutes we'll move to all have lunch together in the atrium. So thank you guys very much for coming, and thank you very much to our panelists. Thank you.